This talk was given by Patrick Yunan Kelly at Zen Mountain Monastery. Yunan is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. So this is from the uh, uh, Vimalakirti Sutra. The Buddha said to the Lachavyati and the Tathagata Akshobhya, show them. Then the Lachavya Vimalakirti thought, without rising from my couch, I shall pick up in my right hand the universe Abhirati and all it contains. It's hundreds of thousands of bodhisattvas, it's abodes of devas, nagas, yakshas, gandharvas, and asuras, bounded by its Chakravata mountains, its rivers, lakes, fountains, streams, oceans, and the other bodies of water. It's Mount Sumeru and other hills and mountain ranges. It's moon, its sun, and its stars. It's devas, nagas, yakshas, gandharvas, and asuras themselves. It's Brahma and his retinues. Its villages and the Tathagata Akshobhya himself, seated in the middle of an assembly as vast as an ocean, teaching the Dharma. Like a potter with his wheel, I will reduce that universe Abharati with its store of innumerable virtues, from its watery base of, up to its Akanishta heaven, and will show it to the multitudes. Then the Lachavi Vimalakirti entered into Samadhi and performed a miraculous feat such that he reduced the universe Abharati to a minute size, took it with his right hand and brought it to this Saha world. In that universe Abharati, the disciples, bodhisattvas, and those among gods and men who possessed the superknowledge of the divine eye all cried out, Lord, we are being carried away. Sagata, we are being carried off. Protect us, O Tathagata. But to discipline them, the Tathagata Akshobhya said to them, you are being carried off by the Bodhisattva Vilmakirti. It is not my affair. <laughs> Although the universe Abharati had been brought into the universe Saha, the Saha world was not increased or diminished. It was neither compressed nor obstructed, nor was the universe Abharati reduced internally, and both universes appeared to be the same as they had ever been. So good afternoon. Uh, my name is Yunus. I use he, him pronouns, and I would, I'm, I'm going to talk today about uh, emptiness as form, and uh, use the Vimalakirti Sutra as a way of, of hopefully uh, illustrating this, and also see if I could relate it to session practice as well. So before I get to that, let me just say a little bit about um, the Vimalakirti Sutra. So uh, this is, uh, it's a Mahayana teaching, it's a Mahayana Sutra. And really, a main emphasis of it is the non-duality of all dualities. So you can pick whichever ones you like, zazen and activity, delusion and enlightenment, form and emptiness, lay and monastic, male and female, sickness and health, Sashin in ordinary life. It's sometimes grouped with the, uh, the Prajnaparamita Sutras, like the Heart Sutra, the Diamond Sutra. Uh, some of these we've studied. 
uh, that sort of emphasize, um, well, prajna, insight into, into emptiness as an experience, not as an idea. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a, a bit of an outlier. It's a strange beast. Uh, it, it has um, uh, elements of, of some other sutra traditions as well. So it has certain affinities to the, uh, the, the flower garland sutra, the avatamsaka, uh, and its teachings of the, the interpenetration of, um, of all dharmas, and uh, the Pure Land sutras as well. Uh, as, as well as the Lotus Sutra. And interestingly, all of these other traditions have schools that sort of found it, that formed around them uh, in China. But the Vimalakirti Sutra didn't. It, it's sort of like an anthology. Actually, I kind of think of it as, as like this, this uh, vision of the Abhirati universe that I started with. It's sort of like a, a universe of Mahayana into itself. It, it contains... Uh, all of the other sutra traditions. Um, the oldest existing version that we have is a Chinese text from the third century. Presumably it was originally in Sanskrit, but um, the, the original was lost. Uh, a, a Sanskrit version was actually found just about 20 years ago. It was thought to have been gone uh, in, in the Patala Palace in Tibet. But it was, it was interesting in that it was it was never really popular in India or Tibet, as far as we know, based on the, the commentary tradition. But it was huge in, uh, in East Asia, in China, and then uh, Japan, Vietnam, Korea. And so it was, in particular, it was, it was very important in uh, the early formation of the, the Chan, or the, the Zen school. It, which might seem unusual. It seemed unusual to me on a first reading because it's, it's very sort of it can be very discursive and abstract, like a lot of the, the Indian sutras. But if you, if you look at some of the dialogues between, in the text between Vimalakirti and uh, the various people who, who come to speak with him, it has the same sort of really down-to-earth, pithy, sort of dynamic uh, quality as a lot of the early koan um, dialogues. In fact, Vimalakirti is, is often considered a sort of prototype of the first of a, of a Chan master. And his, uh, the whole, most of the sutra takes place in Vimalakirti's 10-foot sick room. And it's, uh, this is often likened to the, uh, to the Dokusan room. So in fact, the sutra is, if you want to think of it this way, it's a, it's a long description of a bunch of uh, Dokusan encounters or Dharma combat. Um, so the sutra tells the story of Vimalakirti, who's a, who's a lay practitioner an enlightened lay practitioner who's said to have uh, an understanding of the Dharma equivalent to that of the Buddha. And in the sutra, he manifests himself as sick um, and bedridden as a skillful means to help awake as it unfolds. The Buddha begins asking his disciples, so the, the Shravakas, uh, Shariputra, Ananda, Sabuti, all of these, these people, to go inquire about Vimalakirti's sickness. And all of them are very reluctant to do so. And it, as the Buddha asked, it turns out that they've all had a sort of a Dharma encounter with him in the past, and he's basically um, wiped the floor with all of them. <laughs> and the same thing is true of the Bodhisattvas. They're all asked by the Buddha, and they, they all say, no, 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 no. You know, I, he's, he's a great guy, but... Um, 
I don't really want to go talk to him right now. <laughs> uh, and so, so finally, at the end, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, agrees. Okay, I'll, I'll go see him and talk to him. Um, and I was actually, you know, I, I left out a part, which is often left out, and I just was looking at the sutra and I realized it. Before all this happens, all the people of Vaishali go out and pay their respects. So the ordinary people, you know, the city officials, merchants, young people, old people, laborers, just ordinary folk, they go out and they're not afraid to, to see him. And, I, you know, I, I, maybe there's, there's an aspect of this, you know, fools jump in where angels fear, fear to tread. But I think it's also, there's something about, um, I'm just holding up the, the virtues of just ordinary people uh, who don't necessarily, aren't necessarily interested in, in all this Zen stuff. And, and not to romanticize, because there's a lot of craziness in the world. But, you know, living in New York City, I'm sometimes amazed that, that the place runs as well as it does. Um, I, I was thinking of a story, uh, I think it was Aho, uh, who told about um, the Rochester Zen Center and, and Kepler Roshi. They had a visitor from some, I don't know who it was, VIP from somewhere. And they came and they were visiting and they, they mistook Kepler for the janitor. And he was told afterwards, and he took that as a very great compliment. He was very pleased to have been mistaken as the janitor. So, as I said, so Manjushri then agrees to, to pay his respects um, to Vimalakirti. And at this point, everyone who is reluctant to go, now they want to come see the, the sparks fly between these two. So everyone comes, thousands of shravakas, thousands of bodhisattvas, gods and goddesses, and they all pile into Vimalakirti's 10-foot room. And they miraculously fit in there. And there's no, although they, it said, although they fit in there, there's, the room hasn't changed and there's no obstruction. In the, in the Heart Sutra that we chanted um, this morning, we chant, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Well, that's, we don't actually, there's one version of it that, that has that. We say, uh, form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. Form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. This is sort of the heart of the, the Prajnaparamita, the heart of the Heart Sutra, I, I feel. All dharmas are forms of emptiness. All phenomena, interior phenomena, exterior phenomena, the self and everything that the self encounters, all dharmas are forms of emptiness. And the emphasis on the Heart Sutra seems to be on the emptiness, form is emptiness. So we say no eye, ear, nose, tongue, no color, sound, smell, taste, no twelve-fold chain, no four noble truths, no this, no attainment, no, 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 no. But it says also emptiness is form. You know, there's another side. I think that the Vimalakirti Sutra is, is interesting because it it, it sort of brings this other side, emptiness coming into form a little bit forward. Um, it has a little bit more of this affirmative angle. 
Robert Thurman, who, who translated this and has been teaching it for years, says that um, he actually thinks that there's, there's uh, links between the Vimalakirti and some, some tantric practices where you're actually looking at the delusions and the afflictions and working with them directly. But, you know, this is, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into the abstract um, language. What does this mean in practice for us when we say form is emptiness? Because that's really what it, if it's going to help us. How do we experience form is emptiness? I think of it as taking the backward step of zazen is one way of putting it. Practicing silence, practicing stillness of body and mind, letting go of thoughts, renouncing the world and entering the monastery or the temple for a morning, a week, a lifetime, putting an end to to suffering of all beings, or the first pure precept, stop all evil, that we chant during the meal chant. This is form as emptiness. It can, it can be a little bit frightening, at least I exper- have experienced and still sometimes do experience it this way. I think part, you know, the, the word emptiness is a little bit tricky. It's a translation of, um, uh, the Sanskrit is uh, shunyata, uh, the Chinese word is kong. Um, and it's an imperfect translation, like all translations. Um, emptiness kind of, for me anyway, it, it conjures up this kind of like vast, cold, interstellar void. You know, eternal darkness and solitude. I mean, who wants that? It's not very appealing. I mean, maybe from the point of view of ego, it is kind of, that is kind of what it is. But, but not really, not ultimately. You know, form is emptiness always goes with emptiness as form. They're non-dual, um, not one and not two. But it, it, it seems that we, for me anyway, it seems easier to start with form as emptiness. It's, I think it's the same reason that the Buddha started with life as suffering, although he taught a way to peace and human happiness. But he, he had to start with life as suffering in order to get there. I feel it's similar in this case. And there's also the, the, uh, the point that it's, I feel it's easy to under, misunderstand emptiness as form as, is what Daito called buji zen, or everything I do is zen. I can just do anything and it's perfect and complete. Um, I said this the last time I brought it up, but I still, I hear it every time I say that, I hear Daito saying, wrong. I spoke about the translations of the word emptiness. Some of the other translations into English, if you look around, uh, it's sometimes translated as voidness or boundlessness or vastness, which are, those give a nice um, twist to it. If you say form is vastness, vastness is form. Actually, Nagarjuna defines emptiness 
as uh, equivalent. He says it's equivalent to dependent origination, uh, dependent arising, pratitya samutpada, the twelve-fold chain of dependent arising through which the self and objects and the whole world appears. So we could also say, instead of emptiness, we could say fullness, or the entire universe in the ten directions. Form is the entire universe in the ten directions. The entire universe in the ten directions is form. And I think that's sort of the angle that the Vilmakirti Sutra is, is getting at a little bit more. So emptiness is form. To talk about in terms of practice is getting up from zazen at the end of a period, when we start kinhin, entering the world of differences, lifting the precautions after daikaijo at the end of session, leaving the monastery at the end of a period of residency. The second pure precept, practice good, or giving rise to thoughts. As the, and as the Vilmakirti Sutra says, pursuing the desires, picking and choosing on the basis of our likes and dislikes, getting tangled up in dualities, taking up the afflictions, and entering the suffering of the world. But, but doing all that from the point of view of, of emptiness and from the point of view of for the benefit of all beings. It's not just getting caught in the dualities, it's getting caught in the dualities for the sake of beings. And for oneself, as, as Shugan Roshi was talking about this morning. So it's not a completely selfless, kind of sentimental or idealistic altruism. In, in beginning instruction, uh, the, the heart of what we say is, uh, uh, the, the instruction is, see the thought, let it go, and come back to the counting. I was thinking about this. You know, it's, it's a very subtle point. Um, and I, I, I think for years I misunderstood this, and, and perhaps still do sometimes, is, is the point is, my misunderstanding was that the point of letting go of thoughts was to attain a state of no thought. But I'm, more and more I think that the, the purpose of the practice of letting go of thoughts is to practice letting go of thoughts. Um, and if you think about it, um, in order to let go of thoughts, you need thoughts. I mean, generally, this isn't really a problem. But, um, and so I think that's why we start with the practice of letting go. We don't, actually we do, you know, there's a, there's a side of a practice of giving rise to thoughts, actually. But not just giving rise to any sort of random thought. And I, there's this, uh, in, in the Diamond Sutra, uh, Subhuti asked the Buddha, uh, Sugata, if a noble son or daughter wishes to set forth on the Bodhisattva path, how should they stand? How should they walk? And how should they control their thoughts? And so he's, the way he's setting this up, he seems to be asking, how do I get rid of my thoughts or stand in a way or move in a way that I don't have to deal with anything anymore ever again? Um, but the Buddha says, what you should do, um, you should give rise to a thought, actually. You should give rise to this thought, however many beings there are, in whatever realm of existence beings might exist, whether they are born from a womb, born from an egg, born from moisture, born from an air, 
transformation, in whatever realm of being one might speak of beings, in the realm of complete nirvana, I shall liberate them all. And though I liberate countless beings, not a single being is liberated. So he says, that's what you should think. That's how you should practice. You know, Dogen says something similar, actually, in his beginning instruction in Fukan Zazengi. He says, think not thinking. He doesn't say don't think. He says, think not thinking. Think thoughts that are no thoughts. What are thoughts that are no thoughts? You know, every morning we chant the, the four immeasurables. May all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May all beings know happiness and the root of happiness. In a sense, these are, and, and especially if we, so we're not just chanting it with the mouth, but with the mind and the body, body, mouth, and mind all together. We're embodying these uh, mind states. And so much of the liturgy, I think, is like this. We're, we're giving rise to thoughts, and then we let go of those thoughts. These thoughts that are no thoughts are, in the, in the Diamond Sutra it says, I, I said it as you should give rise to a thought. Actually, in one translation, it's uh, give birth to a thought. It's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, born from the womb of Prajnaparamita, the mother of all Buddhas, transcendent wisdom. You know, back to the Vimalakirti Sutra, uh, when Manjushri first drops in on Vimalakirti, he asks him, whence came the sickness of yours? How long will it continue? How does it stand? How can it be alleviated? And Vimalakirti says, Manjushri, my sickness comes from the ignorance and the thirst for existence and it will last as long as does the sicknesses of living beings. Were all living beings to be free from sickness, I would also be not sick. Why? Manjushri, for the bodhisattva, the world consists only of living beings, and sickness is inherent in living in the world. For example, Manjushri, when the only child of a merchant is sick, both parents become sick on account of the sickness of their child. And the parents will suffer so long as that only child does not recover from sickness. Just so, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva loves all living beings as if they were their only child. They become sick when beings are sick, and they are cured when beings are cured. Manjushri, whence comes my sickness? You ask me, Manjushri, whence comes my sickness? The sicknesses of the Bodhisattvas come arise from great compassion. I, this is, I find this a really helpful perspective, especially around this, the midpoint of session. Often, I find myself around this time, I found myself uh, struggling. Maybe some of you, maybe that rings a bell. But, but consider, you know, consider for a moment that your struggle Whatever it is, your, your emotional pain, your self-doubt, your anger, your anxiety, your sore back, your sore knees, are no other than the great compassion of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. I mean, that's not usually how we experience it, but can we consider that? Usually we, we, it's, we, we experience it as my suffering, my problems, my defects, 
Everyone else is doing great. I, know, I just know it. They're passing koans left and right. They're, you know, they're realizing themselves, and I'm just sitting here in the pit stop, miserable. <laughs> it, it feels, you know, it can feel so lonely, so private, our suffering. And Vilmakirti is saying, no, actually, your struggle right now is precisely the compassion of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Not at some point when your practice matures and you get all your ducks in a row. Right now. Uh, as Shugan mentioned at the beginning, we all come here willingly, and we do. You know, in a sense, we've, we have come here willingly, and we're taking up this difficulty. You know, maybe we think of it as, well, I want to get enlightened, and that's, that's good, but as we turn towards it and, and face it and be intimate with it and let it go and liberate it, we liberate all beings. It's, it's actually not possible any other way. There's no such thing as individual liberation. And if we don't see it, it's just because we're, we, we're, we have this deep habit of dividing up the world into to I, me, mine, and everything else. From the point of view of the teachings, they say that's just conditioning. Fundamentally, it has no basis, although it's, it's extremely deep. From the, from the traditional point of view, we've all spent billions of lifetimes in hell realms, preta realms, animal realms. And, and in the animal realms, not, not necessarily as like dolphins and whales, but probably mostly as like scorpions and spiders and leeches and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, even from a, from a scientific materialist point of view, you know, it's thought that people who study the origin of life, it's, it's thought that uh, the development of, of a compartmentalization of a cell to, with, a, with a lipid membrane, division of the cell into inside and outside, self and other, was it happened at the very beginning of the development of life on Earth, some about four billion years ago. Even single-celled bacteria have sophisticated um, immune systems that are just dedicated. It's like seek and destroy, self and other. When they find foreign genetic material, it just identifies it and chops it up. Uh, and so this, is, this, is, this stuff is very deep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from the point of view of, of fundamentally, the self isn't a problem, though, the teachings tell us because all dharmas are empty of self-nature. They're mutually interpenetrating and mutually non-obstructing. It's, this is sometimes, it, this is expressed in many different ways. One way is, it's said that uh, Mount Sumeru, the king of mountains, fits into a mustard seed. And, you know, it's also the point of this story of Vimalakirti bringing the Abharati universe into the Saha world, into our world. The universe, it says, neither universe was compressed or obstructed, and both universes appeared the same as they had ever been. Consider all the different mind states that you've, you've been through in this session, all the different people and beings already that have come to visit you. You know, people, friends and loved ones, people who push all your buttons, uh, people, you know, I sometimes have, I, 
someone will come into mind I haven't thought of in 30 years, some, someone I went to first grade with or something, and I'll remember, oh, you know, Joe from first grade, I wonder what he's up to. I haven't thought of him in 30 years or so. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, I was, I was trying to think of what places I went and said, Shin, I, I got in an argument with Donald Trump for a while. <laughs> I, uh, I was, uh, I was with Frodo Baggins walking across the plains of Mordor for a little bit. You know, all these, these kind of random thoughts just pass through your mind. And I think we all have that, that experience. It's a sense that, that all, of, all of space and time is present here in session, right now. And it's said that in, in Sashina, a bodhisattva who dwells in inconceivable liberation can make a week seem like an eon for those who are only disciplined through eons of evolution and can make an eon seem like a week for those who are only disciplined by a short period of evolution. And while all that is true, uh, we're just spending six days here together on the side of Mount Tremper. And when session ends on Sunday, some of us will go home. Those of us who live here will take care of the laundry, catch up on some sleep. That ordinary perspective and the, the sort of non-dual <laughs> cosmological Indian pers sutra perspective are not in conflict. So I wanted to just in, in wrapping this up, since this is the Hazy Moon session, and since we'll be studying Dogen's fascicle on the moon, this Ango, I want to offer you uh, uh, one of Dogen's moon images, which I think uh, sums up the teaching of the Vilmakirti Sutra. Dogen says, gaining enlightenment is like the moon reflecting on the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water disturbed. Although its light is extensive and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch across. The whole moon and the whole sky are reflected in a dewdrop in the grass and a single drop of water. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. So, I hope you enjoy the rest of your session. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.